I think the best advice that I would give is, especially for the first time people who are getting into it, would be to just go for it. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is FunNetFlip, and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who FunNetFlip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of FunNetFlip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners... You're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a whole bunch of others. With us today, George Seeley. How you doing, George? Doing good. Thank you. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about George. He is a senior mortgage representative at Priority Lending based in Tucson, Arizona. His focus is on helping investors and first-time home buyers and individuals who are buying their second homes get financing. And we're going to talk about his background and his focus. Priority Lending, his company will be celebrating their 20th year in business this year. So happy birthday to his company. With that being said, George, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? I'm actually one of the Tucson natives that everybody jokes is around here somewhere because I was actually (laughs) born and raised, attended the University of Arizona, and ironically went to and got my degree in psychology, which in reality, you end up using every single day in this job (laughs) because keeping people emotionally on track is probably the bigger and harder part of the job than it is finding the financing and the loan options. And so got my family here and kind of enjoyed the city. And I like my parents enough that I didn't feel like I had to move away. So that was always nice. (laughs) Well, shout out to your parents, especially hearing that. So your focus is on getting financing for people. What percentage of people would you say are investors that you work with? Probably about 30% of the people that come through are real estate investors buying their fourth, fifth, sixth, 10th, 20th property. That's kind of the overall percentage of what we end up doing for that kind of demographic. What do you have to do in order to help someone buy their 20th property that you wouldn't have to do for someone buying their fourth Well, the biggest thing for that person is convincing them that they can even get financing because most of the people, there's a, in our industry, there's an item that's called overlays or it's additional restrictions that banks put on 
their portfolios that they don't want to lend on that aren't necessarily accurate. And so most people hear four properties, and that's about all you can get for loans. Is that kind of what you've run across as well? I've heard of it, yeah. I, mean, I know there are ways around it, and I think someone who I'm interviewing right now is going to tell us how to do that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, so then in addition to that, Fannie Mae actually technically will allow for unlimited properties. But right now, most banks have restricted the number of finance properties that you can do to 10. And then there's a new wave of financing that is now called qualified mortgages that allow for people to exceed the 10 number of finance properties. It's basically the new fancy name for the subprime loans mm -hmm. that existed before the explosion of the market. And those are just kind of slightly off. They're a lot cleaner than they used to be. They're still income-based and asset-based type of loans with good credit scores, but they just allow you to move past that restriction of having already acquired 10 finance properties. So to answer your question, what's the difference between the two is really just convincing the person who's already secured a number of properties that they can continue to go. And if they like the leverage game and, and working out to it, there's no need to stop. I wouldn't imagine there'd be much convincing. You wouldn't have to use your psychology degree too much in that. All you'd have to say is, hey, we can get you financing past 10 properties, right? Uh, true, but then there's different ways that we can structure the project that ultimately the convincing or helping somebody to identify the best strategy to take is where the challenge is. So, for example, people who are just starting out on the first or second investment property, they're kind of cash poor. And then the people who are have more of assets available to them, there's actually an entirely shift of strategy where we can basically almost get them 100% financing for their investment purchases. Please continue. Okay. So one of my favorite of all of the investor loans that's the easiest and kind of fairly high rate of return is we'll have the borrower go and acquire the building. If they have the means or the cash to purchase the building just straight out, they get the benefit of that initial purchase as being a cash acquisition. And then immediately, as soon as they own it, the, the same day or the next day, we'll actually start the entire loan as they're renovating or rehabbing the property to kind of get it up to current lending standards. And then I'm able to then do an appraisal on the property as the new appraised value of what it's now worth. And I can get out of the property up to 100% of what they acquired it for at the initial purchase. Okay. Could this be done on a $30,000 single-family home? Well, finding those is pretty hard, at least out in the Southwest right now. The market doesn't really allow for it. But yes, it could be for that. So the example, the only restriction in that case is that with a lot of the Dodd-Frank regulations that came through, doing a $30,000 minimum loan size actually now tends to violate the requirements that they put on there. And so you... Technically, before Dodd-Frank, I absolutely would say yes, but now I might actually end up violating the percentages of charges, and I can't do it because of the government regulations. Because it's too low? Because the percentage of fees based against the loan amount, so let's say the underwriting fee is just a flat $650, well, that's already 2% of the loan amount, and they don't want you to exceed overall 3% in total charges for the loan. Mm, okay. And that's just the underwriting fee. And then you get a origination fee or a processing fee, appraisal fee, and all those fees add up. And next thing you know, you've exceeded the caps that they want you to make mm -hmm. through the Dodd-Frank regulation. So generally, we find 65 to 75,000 is the magic area as the smallest loan size, which fortunately, most homes are not 30,000 <laughs> in right. price. But I have a gentleman right now, he acquired a building for 111,000. 
and he put about ten grand into the project, and we just got the appraisal back yesterday, and it appraised for one hundred and forty-four thousand. So okay. he's able to take up to seventy-five percent of the new appraised value, or his original acquisition price, which was one hundred and eleven, and math-wise, seventy-five percent puts him at one hundred and eight thousand. So in this deal, he's only going to have invested. Three thousand for the difference between what he bought it for and the new loan amount, plus his ten grand into the project right there. So he's only in it for thirteen thousand. And I know we're splitting hairs here a little bit, but I've got to ask: Why wouldn't he take you up on the acquisition price of one hundred eleven versus seventy five percent of one hundred eight and get back three thousand? The reason he couldn't is because this gentleman is on to his fifth financed home. So when you move past four financed homes to five financed homes, the loan to value that we can cash out to changes from eighty percent to seventy-five percent loan to value. I thought I heard you say he could do seventy-five percent or the original acquisition price of hundred and eleven. Yes, whichever is lower. Oh, seventy-five percent. Sorry, I didn't clarify that, but yeah, seventy-five percent of the one forty-four price. Okay, cool. So whichever one's lower, got it. Yeah, so he's going to rent this thing out. I mean, so his mortgage payment for the mortgage is five twenty-two a month, and then you add his taxes and insurance, which puts him at about another one seventy-five. So he's looking at a total debt service of six ninety-seven a month, and he's renting the building for nine fifty. So he's receiving two hundred fifty-two dollars a month in net cash flow times twelve. That's three grand a year, and he puts thirteen into it with the ten grand repairs and everything else. So he's got a twenty-three percent rate of return on his money. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone buys a turnkey property, and I don't think this is a scenario that would play out often, but I'm just curious what would happen. They buy it for 100 They don't put any money in it. It appraises for 100 They buy it cash, then they go to you. They're on, the, say, their seventh property. I want to get a qualified mortgage on it. Then it would just be 75% that they could borrow. So they'd have twenty five in it, and the loan would be for seventy five thousand. Correct, and and in that scenario, if it's already turnkey, you would just go straight in for the mortgage up front, right? And you okay. would just buy it with the mortgage. But what his advantage was is that he found a property that was distressed because the kitchen was gone. They had ripped the kitchen out the prior owners, so he just put a new kitchen in and made himself almost forty thousand dollars in equity mm-hmm. or thirty thousand. And the reason why you would buy all cash initially is because it doesn't meet the lender's standard, so they wouldn't qualify for a loan. So we got to get it up to be approved by the lender. Is that right? Exactly right. Yes. And it also allows him, because of the amount of cash that he has, that he avoids two different loans. So he doesn't have to do a hard money loan to acquire it up front. He just buys it and then he just gets his cash back. And then he just dominoes that money or checkers it, whatever you want to call it, to the next property and does it again. But the best part about that is he doesn't incur any tax consequences because he didn't sell the project. So he's kind of flipping but not flipping at the same time. What are the lender standards that need to be met, generally speaking, or if you can get really specific? Yeah, I could do both. So the general joke I always make is, you know, anything that can kill you probably needs to be fixed. You know, so if the window's shattered and there's a hole in it and you can stick your wrist in there and slice your wrist, then that's probably something you should you should work on getting fixed. Yep. Roof will probably, again, it could cave in on you. So the main things that you're looking for are, are the floorings covered. So covering of floorings can be carpeting, tile, paint. So I've had people who the carpet's been ripped up and they go in and they paint the floors with just paint. And now it's sealed, so to speak. And so now that's lendable. 
any type of, they want the interior doors to be there, any type of broken windows, cracks are fine, but if they're actually broken and exposing to the outside air, then that needs to be fixed. Water stains call out roof repairs. Plants hitting the building from the exterior need to be trimmed back. That's pretty much it. Sometimes they want to see uh, like a hood range or a stove in the kitchen, but that's probably about what you're looking for for most properties. If it's a four-unit and they're buying as an investment property and they're getting a qualified mortgage, does the lender then also look at if it's vacant or not? That is wonderful because what's great about that is if your investor has already shown that they've been a landlord on their tax returns, you're able to actually count the rents for the new subject property immediately for qualifying purposes. And the way that they determine the rents is they'll actually have the appraiser, in addition to doing the regular comparable analysis of the value of the building, will also on top of that do a rent analysis. And so they could be vacant units but because the existing market rents through the appraisal are determined, those rents are now accounted as income. Even if no one's living there? That's right. Hmm. So I use that all the time. So the biggest part for first-time investors getting into it is they've got to get that first building, and they've got to show at least one year of tax returns of being a landlord. I don't care if they lost money, but they need to show it on there. And then as soon as we do that, now every single building gets easier and easier and easier and easier for qualifying purposes because it's the rents that are being counted plus the subject property. And there's a point when you get to a spot where you can have the borrower quit their actual regular job and be a full-time investor and not have to actually work a regular position. So I had a gal, she and her husband, we ended up doing 22 mortgages for them in two years, and she was able to quit her engineering position. Were they buying property, refinancing it, and then getting the proceeds, then investing in another deal? They did both, yeah. So they would turnkey purchase for those that were just clean, and they'd just come in with their down payments, and then they would do cash acquisitions and the cash out immediately thereafter to get it going so they could just keep turning it through. And they had a large amount of money from their retirement account that they used to do all this. Where are these properties that you can finance? Are they just in Arizona or are they nationwide? Right now, priority lending, we're specific, we have our brick and mortar in Arizona. I'm licensed for 40 states, but as we are looking, we're currently almost completely approved for California, and we have some options for Texas as well. So priority lending is expanding into those states, but I can do more than that if we open up a brick and mortar somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But the strategies are still available if people know how to look for them correctly or ask the right questions to their lender. And what are some of the right questions that they should be asking? First and foremost, how many total finance properties can you lend to a person? And that right there will answer, if they say four, well, you already know you're dealing with an overlay restriction that the bank has. If they say 10, okay, they're up to the Fannie Mae level, where most banks are up to 10 across the board. And if they say unlimited, well, that you know they have the non-qualified mortgages or they have commercial strategies to pull the mortgages out of your individual names into a non-recourse commercial loan that we also implement as they get a big enough portfolio. Got it. Non-recourse commercial would be an umbrella loan? Is that essentially what uh, it- Correct, yeah. Another term we use is a cross-collateralized loan. And so both are interchangeable. So once they get about, they're up to 10 or 11 properties, their portfolio size now of loan amount size and value size for their portfolio is big enough that we can pull them all into one giant commercial loan 
And what's great about it is it's, it's got no connection to them as the individual. So most people come to me saying, I'd like this loan to be in my business name. And if they're going to start that way, we actually have to do it as a full recourse where it's in their name initially. And they can then deed it to the LLC, but they're still on their credit. But this loan actually is fully in the business name. They're not connected on the credit anymore. And when you do it that way, you're able to wipe the slate clean, so to speak, and get another 10 finance Fannie Mae loans again as you go through. Yeah, so for every 10, you could do a non-recourse commercial loan, and then you basically start down to zero again. That's correct, yep, and just keep going over and over again. Hmm, Interesting stuff. What is your best advice ever for real estate investors? I think the best advice that I would give is, especially for the first time people who are getting into it, would be to just go for it. Because sometimes people are so fearful of taking the plunge that they do a couple things. They'll either just never act, and they could have a year ago gotten that landlord history on their tax returns and been on their sixth or seventh property within a year to two years, as opposed to never having one. And they're just like, ah, man, it just didn't feel right at the time. And now price appreciations occurred. Rents have gone up, so it would have cash flowed better. They would have been one year closer to being retired. You know, So just going in and getting it done, because the worst case, that's probably not the best way to look at it, but in the worst case, if you mess the whole thing up, you can either sell the building and just say, wow, that was fun, and, uh, <laughs> and, and man, I really learned a lesson on that one, or if you're so upside down, which I would be very surprised in the way the housing market is turning around, but if you're somehow upside down again, then you can just hope that your rents qualify, or if you let the thing foreclose, it's just your credit and your venture into real estate is hung up for another seven years. One thing I learned from Tim Ferriss when I was listening to one of his recent podcasts is he talks about projects that he undertakes. He always sets himself up to win, even if he doesn't achieve the objectives, because what he'll do at the beginning is he'll say, before I take on this project, Will I be able to build relationships and skills that I can have regardless of the outcome of the project? And if I'm able to build relationships with people and acquire skills or hone skills, then I'll be able to take those assets onto other things in my life. And so regardless of the outcome of profitability of the project or whatever he's undertaking, he's set up to win. And same thing with what you're talking about. It's likely that we're going to achieve success with the project that we do. But if we don't, then if we go into it knowing, you know what, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to build relationships and skills, and that's going to set me up for success, then there really is no reason why we shouldn't get started. Absolutely. I would agree completely. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Okay, I'm ready. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here, February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. 
just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read. Best ever book that I've read is The Automatic Millionaire. Hadn't come across that. Do you know the author? Yes, it's by David Bach. Why is that the best ever? I've enjoyed many other books, but I like this one the best because it was a quick read and it launched for me personally the ability to kind of think differently to set up financial independence. And so it basically, with the current payroll world that we have now, you can split your paycheck up into like seven different directions. And he uses that strategy to just split your income to all these different areas where basically you just feel poor all the time, but you're automatically saving all this money to become a millionaire. Hmm. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Well, just recently on the side, one of the things that I do is I enjoy martial arts. And so I just had a martial arts jujitsu competition that I end up getting third in and losing. And I'd say from that kind of hardship there, I have just in the last like four days, <laughs> I've like completely revamped my entire game and kind of taken away from that, that it's as opposed to being down on yourself for losing, it was more about like, oh my gosh, I need to fix all these things so I don't lose again. So it's kind of like forging yourself through a growth process. Mm-hmm. That's my most recent, I'd say. <laughs> it's just the humility of defeat. Well, even though you got third place, I'll remember not to mess with you if we're ever meeting in person. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm very, very gentle and kind, I promise. <laughs> Best ever way you like to give back. I think for me, the biggest part, and it's it's kind of this podcast and everything else, is that I will, this job, especially for lending, people will say to me, okay, great, what do I owe you after we've sat down and structured their entire next 10 years to become financially independent and wealthy and all those things? And they go, all right, great, so what's the cost for today's meeting? I'm like, oh, there's no cost. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, no, my hope is is that now that we're done <laughs> telling you which way to go, that maybe you'll consider me to help you with the mortgages when the time happens because that's how I get paid. My entire job is paying it forward to people. You're constantly trying to give them an avenue and an approach that allows them to succeed in life. And you hope that it reciprocates, but if it doesn't, you just hope that that person does good and does well in their life going forward. Always comes back tenfold, even if it's not from that person. That's what I found. Absolutely. Yes. It's pretty fun and it's pretty powerful. I mean, I had, I'll just give you one quick story. Just a gentleman literally last week, he came to me and we crunched the numbers and he looks correct in the loan land, but he's saying to me as he's talking, he's like, gosh, I don't know if I could afford all this, but the loan says, yeah, this guy's fine. Don't worry about it, but he's not fine. So I had to dive into it and figure out what the disconnect was with what he was experiencing versus what I saw. And it turned out that he was feeling bombarded with all of his credit card debt, his car loans, all of these things that he had on his credit that were reasonable in my opinion, but not for him. And so we actually spent almost probably 45 minutes to an hour, instead of doing the mortgages, restructured his entire debt by cannibalizing a little bit of his retirement assets that he had accumulated to pay off everything. So he was going to keep his current home, buy a new property and then use his retirement assets to pay off all of his debt. And in doing that, he was actually going to be $1,300 better than where he was right now with just one building. Mm. 
And so it was huge for him. He's like, I can sleep at night again. This is going to be amazing. So he's like super excited and has a huge incentive to now go buy his next purchase. Yeah, the peace of mind certainly is priceless for him. What's the biggest mistake you've made in business? The biggest mistake in business, let's see. I've been doing pretty good so far, but let's see here. The uh, the biggest mistake that I could kind of identify was, I think the biggest mistake was not being prepared at the time. You know, So opportunity keeps kind of showing up all the time. There's always opportunities to take advantage of it, but you can't move on an opportunity if you're not in the right position to do anything about it. So I think, especially when I was first getting started with lending and just finances and all that other stuff, I'd be like, wow, that's a really great deal for XYZ stock or that house or something like that. But what was the problem is I wasn't ready with the finances, you know, too much debt here or something like that. And so the biggest mistake was just not being positioned correctly. So I've, in the last couple of years, been able to kind of really position well so that now when the opportunity does arrive, I can just take it. There's no hesitancy or fear in going down that path, you're going to fail. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? I like the telephone personally. I don't know if you want the number, but sure. I like the, the communication because when you go over the phone, you get to hear and communicate with that person. I, I am sometimes a millennial, depends on which classification that you go. So texting, email, all those things are great, but there's so much from a conversation with another human being that you get because you hear that little nuance of what they're saying you hear that little part of it and truly listening to each other is the best part. So I like the phone and we have our regular 520 telephone numbers. That's 520-531-1119. And then if they have to email, <laughs> which is fine, email is georges at loantucson.com. George, thank you for being on the show, sharing your advice with the best ever listeners, talking about your experience and talking about the type of evolution that an investor can go through as he or she purchases properties and reaches those milestones that from a perception standpoint could be roadblocks and that is after your fourth property and after your tenth property and the different types of opportunities there are for those through the qualified mortgages and also through the non-recourse commercial loans and the questions to ask as well, or the main question, and that is how many finance properties can you lend to a person? And then you know what type of lender and entity or group that you're dealing with and can approach accordingly. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.